If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Viola now walks her own path, pursuing her own goal, finding the red grave. Beasthood is consuming him, and soon he will be lost to the voice screaming in his head, urging him to find the truth. And Bayonetta journeys on to find Chaos Gears, putting aside any concern for the young witch Viola and her dear friend Luca. There are grander things at play, and the stakes here are too high to worry over them. The Witch in Black must now contend with the homunculi invading this desert land. Each world brings a new set of foes and challenges to break through, and some of them are quite taxing on the patients. She comes across another memory, though. Once again, it's this world's Bayonetta, this time silver-haired and clad in white. And at her side is this world's Jean, with short black hair clad in dark colors. But this memory does not play out, at least not the same way that she's seen before. She's instead attacked by a demon slave. Meet the Empress of the Fathoms, Bayo. She is contracted to work with the Jean of this world, and she's here to stop any who may wish to follow or interfere with whatever Jean is doing right now. Even the Princess Bayonetta of this world is not to follow her. But the Witch in Black stomps Bayo, and the image of Jean herself takes over the fight. And she rather whips this intruder Bayonetta, but stops her attack once she sees that there is power in the Witch of Black. She sees another memory of when this world's Princess Witch tried to give chase to Jean. So intent is she on keeping the princess safe that she barred her from following. She went on to meet an interloper who had extended a challenge, and she did not want this Princess Witch to follow. Which is very, very strange. Well, Bale will stay with Bayonetta, at least for now. She asks the witch to save her mistress, and even if it's not her Jean, well, of course Bayonetta agrees. And this proves to be a good partnership. Bale proves to be a companion full of energy and personality, as well as the answer to a number of obstacles ahead. After they journey together for some time and face down a particularly nasty homunculus, Bale is called away. But it's because the Jean of this world, her mistress, is weakening and needs her help. Bale tells the Witch in Black that she needs to hurry up, that all is not yet lost, and she has to find Jean. The next stop is just ahead, a huge palace from the looks of it. On the bridge before the structure, great winds begin to blow, effectively knocking out her way forward, forcing her off the path onto an alternate route. A bit irritating, but it can't be helped. Around the canyon, there is a disturbing presence, though. Forces from Inferno are here, but why isn't really clear. Though the Umbra Witches have pacts with the Demons of Inferno, that definitely doesn't mean that they're friendly. They sometimes have overlapping interests in stomping out Angels of Paradiso, but they're not really allies. They'll get riled up and attack a witch whenever the chance presents, and here is no different. But the reason that these demons are here becomes a bit more apparent when Bayonetta reaches the top of the structure. The Princess Witch was here, defying her own lack of conviction to strike a pact with a demon. It would seem that this version of the witch is an apprehensive and unwilling combatant. But for the sake of Jean and for her kingdom, she now offers herself to Inferno so that she might take up the fight against the Singularity as well. The demon who answers is called Malthus, and the Inferno forces still here are remnants from that dark pact taking place. For now, Malthus will aid the Witch in Black, just as Bale did. It whisks her away through the storm back to the heart of the palace that was made unreachable before. Singularity is well aware that she is here now, and greets her as she enters the palace temple. Another place to be traversed and conquered, a series of obstacles meant to impede her progress, but it doesn't work. It takes time and patience, but she finds the chaos gear that she seeks. Though, this one is not within a homunculus like the other ones were. 
It's being guarded by a weaker one while on display in a treasure-filled room. Dispatching the invader and claiming the gear is almost too easy because, well, nothing is ever really easy, is it? The ground beneath the room starts to give out and everything pours into the center. The demon Malphus and the witch in black are forced to flee the now collapsing temple grounds with a fleet of homunculi giving chase with a big boy leading the pack. It actually manages to catch up to the two and knock them completely out of the air, stopping their dramatic ride in a place that's thankfully pretty stable. In the darkness of the arena, Malphus is banished from Bayonetta's control, and two great foes step forth. Hardly fair of them. But Bayonetta herself is not quite alone. The Jean of this world has arrived. At first, this is exceedingly confusing. She confuses the witch in black for her own princess witch, but is gently corrected. Jean will fight beside the witch in black to conquer their mutual, very chatty enemy. They're separated in the arena by impassable walls, but they are each able to handle their foe in one-on-one -on -one combat. Jean has always been an equal of Bayonetta, even in this world that remains true. The two have dug each other out of trouble time and time again. This will be no different. Each hold their own in a long, spectacular fight on different platforms, and in unison they strike down the duo-monstrous homunculi. But one still has enough strength yet remaining to play a foul hand. One of them lunges back from the depths and takes Jean into its grasp. In other worlds, it was the Umber Witch Bayonetta that Singularity sought to siphon power off of as a prize. And here, that will almost certainly remain true. But so too will Jean be consumed. She is the apex of power for this world, what the Singularity would call the Arch Eve. At least in this moment, that is what seems to be true. Jean asks the Witch in Black to forget about her and to kill her before this thing can consume her. But she just doesn't have the heart to. Kill Jean, that's unthinkable. But the task rightfully falls to another. The Princess Witch of this world, who has finally found her courage and her will to fight. She strikes with Malphus to kill Jean out of mercy, before she can be consumed with an apology for her weakness and for failing her. The two have a brief moment of words before Jean's life fades away. In a moment of desperation, the other of the massive homunculi leaps forth once again and consumes the corpse of its defeated partner and the fallen John. The two Bayonettas will work together to defeat what is coming, but for the Witch in Black, this time it's a bit different. This whole affair has been much darker, and the difficulty of it is quite apparent on their faces. The demon Malphus gets them up to the surface for a cleaner, more open fight. And once again, Singularity can't help but rear its ugly head and start talking. That Jean was not the Arch-Eve kind of confuses him. She was the most powerful, but not what was keeping this world together. Strange that this Princess Witch would actually be the Arch-Eve, but this is quite enough for the Witch in Black. She begins her ritual, called the Divine Sin, to empower a demon and destroy this thing before them. This time it will be Phantasmarane, who ascends into becoming the Phantom, the once demon slave of another world's Bayonetta. It's time for it to get revenge for the death of its own mistress. In the air, the Princess Witch and her Malthus will aid in taking down the godlike Stratocumulus. They have to work together to beat down its barriers, deliver devastating blows, and find the weak points on it to attack. And all the while, under a very strict time limit. After all, this world doesn't have long left. Once the killing blow is met out to the Stratocumulus, things don't settle. Peace does not return to this world. The force that it took to kill it was like a bomb going off and everything is getting pulled in. The Witch in Black has lost her senses from the taxing of her divine sin and will soon fall victim to what is now consuming this planet. So, the Princess Witch sends to her her own weapon and her demon Malphus. 
She will sacrifice herself to save this stranger in her world, but she does so with serenity. She spends her final moments talking to Jean, asking her if she saw, if she saw her victory before she's pulled into the vortex and passes from life. With the death of the Princess Witch, Bayonetta is once again returned to her own world, returned to the Isle of Thule. Four Chaos Gears obtained, one more to go. As Bayonetta's journey draws upon its conclusion, so too does Jean's. She's made it through that secret facility and found her target, the Dr. Sigurd. Now she will begin her extraction process. Meanwhile, young Viola has still not managed to find Luca Redgrave. When the desert planet was destroyed, she too was returned to Thule, but this time she emerged near the top of the mountain. There are traces of Strider nearby though, or what appears to be a part of the beast. Odd gems that match its color palette. So, Viola follows them around the peak. And while she doesn't find Luca, she does come across a weird ball of light that she feels like is calling to her, leading her someplace. And, well, there's no reason not to follow it, so she takes off. It leads her to another portal generator and into the chaotic rift where things are just falling apart. There aren't a lot of worlds left in the multiverse and it's starting to destroy the space between them. Each step is a hazard and there are more powerful homunculi invading the rift now. The orb of light leads Viola to a safe place though, a place untouched by the singularity, at least for now. It's a clearing and a serene place where King Lucaeon stands awaiting her arrival. He doesn't waste any time in questioning her. He asks if she's from the same place as the Man-Beast, who Viola knows as Luca. He introduces himself formally and tells Viola that he believes the Man-Beast Luca to be his else fellow, but he's no longer here. Lucaeon has been searching for him. He's heard the same voice telling him to seek the truth, but it's not taken or impacted this other version of Luca. The king is still quite himself and recognizes that somehow they share a blood bond. He knows Viola, but he's not quite sure how. The call of that voice pulls him away. They have nothing more to discuss, at least for now. Viola is taken away from this serene forest clearing and placed back into another world, right into the middle of Paris, France. And there is already trouble brewing. Strider is here and he's empowered under the light of the Red Moon. He wastes no time in attacking Viola as soon as she is in his sights, but this time, Luca breaks through and tells her to get back to get away from him, but she will do no such thing. Viola and Strider once again brawl. She's gotten so much stronger during these ventures though, she can absolutely tango with this beast. Luca still tries to break through, calling out that he hears a voice. He's clearly in pain and struggling to stop himself. The voice he's hearing is its own. It's another him, he says. He's heard that voice since he was a kid. The will of the other being, Dark Adam, found its hold in Luca across the multiverse when he was a child. And as each version of himself was killed, it became stronger and louder. Dark Adam has turned him into this. And if that seems confusing, don't worry, it very much is. The point of it being, Luca is almost completely out of control now. Should Singularity not be stopped, then he will completely lose himself in beasthood. He's not far from that point already. Viola and Strider fight for what feels like an eternity under the moon, but this time, it's a draw. Viola stands against the beast all on her own as an equal. The invasion of Singularity is well underway and Viola begs of Luca to stop this. She doesn't actually want to harm him, and he's not leaving her many outs for this. But she still puts her weapons away, unwilling to continue the fight, and tries to remind him that though they're from different worlds, she's his daughter. Sadly though, it just doesn't work. The voice is too loud, the pain is too great, and Viola is knocked to the ground far below. Bayonetta has landed in the same world, but in another part of town. 
and she's got a completely different set of problems to deal with. I mean, look at this high drama. That jacket is probably made of pleather and costs $400. Also, if I may intrude, the vanity is a little bit thick right now, lady. Maybe tone it back a bit because this isn't the Miss Universe pageant. She sees Viola, though, like a flash in her vision. She sees that something is very wrong with her, and it snaps her out of her self-appreciation time. What's happening here is just like Tokyo all over again. The city is falling, the military is trying to make a stand, there are no survivors to be found, and it's only a matter of time before everything goes to hell. Another memory is on one of the roads, a moment captured not too long ago. This one features a blonde Harlequin-style bayonetta alongside Rosa, her mother. Oh my, in this world, Rosa survived the witch hunts, or maybe they never happened here. It's hard to say, there are no Lumen sages fighting in the streets, though they also don't really seem the type to really care for the world of chaos, so who knows. The point is, Rosa is alive. It's been over 500 years for the Witch in Black since her mother's passing. The mother-daughter duo are thieves that track down and reclaim lost treasures of their witch ancestors. And the one hunting them down is a French version of Enzo, and actually, the mustache and tweezed eyebrows kind of suit him. During a heist to steal a chaos gear, Inspector Enzo found and tried to arrest them, but the invasion began and the chaos gear was stolen by a homunculus. The story continuity on these gears is just chef's kiss. So the two witches gave chase to retrieve the chaos gear, but the Harlequin witch fell behind and her mother followed the invaders into a strange red portal. She and her demon, McTanticuli, McSlant, McSlantacute, McTantaclu- oh Jesus, McTantaluk, McTantacutely began their search together for the gear and Rosa. And God, she watched Jean die in the desert lands and now is she going to have to watch Rosa die again? The look on her face, the sadness is unmissable. This is going to be difficult. But there's not a lot of time for reflection because something is approaching. It's the Harlequin Witch's demon, but it does not approach as an enemy. The unspeaking Infernal immediately offers aid to the Witch in Black. It will act as a probably temporary companion until its mistress is found or calls for it. They have a lot of ground to cover and a variety of enemies to deal with as they go. But this world and what remains of the multiverse has become so unstable that there are times the chaotic rift merges into reality, which means the clock is ticking, they don't have long here. It also means that larger homunculi can enter this world as well, whereas previously it required too much energy to bring them in. With the barrier between the worlds being torn down, the invasions are becoming more and more overwhelming. They're happening quicker. Deep into the city, the Witch in Black finds Rosa, holding that gear, the gear that she needs. But something has happened to Rosa. She immediately opens fire on Bayonetta, though she doesn't have the heart to return that fire. The aggression that Rosa is showing is hard to contend with, so she tries to get in close and call out to her, but the green glow in Rosa's eyes betrays that no maternal response is to be had here. Bayonetta must fight this powerful witch. Rosa not only has the advantage of age and experience over Bayonetta, but she's also been infected by singularity. Keeping up with her is one hell of a task, and a number of times, Rosa almost claims a decisive victory. But the arrival of an entire police force sort of puts a damper on the whole affair, and Rosa simply has no time for this, so she takes off with a crazy infernal mech. Quite strange to hear Enzo on the other side of the law, yelling about making arrests and justice. The two witches very quickly lose the police fleet and have a bit of a chase across the city. Thankfully, McLanticootly can echolocate and reveal obstacles once they reach the underground. 
Then it turns into a bit of Galaga, shooting through enemies over broken down chasms and holes in the ground. But eventually Rosa stops again in a clearing to summon something. The Umbran Clock Tower. And holy mother of God, this thing is sentient. And it's one that Rosa controls absolutely flawlessly. According to legend, this is the same clock tower that stood within Vigrid, within the Umbra Witch homeland. It was where the witches gathered when they were attacked by the Lumen Sages and the forces of Paradiso during the war some 500 years ago. All the witches that died within were plunged into Inferno with the clock tower, and it was remade as a cursed fortress under the control of this world's Rosa. Knocking down that clock tower brings the mother of Bayonetta back to reality, but she only has her senses about her briefly. The infection of Singularity is still within her. She'll lose her control again. She begs of the Witch in Black to kill her to prevent that torment from happening. A destructive force like her would likely be impossible for others to stop. And this time, she does it. She couldn't kill Jean in the desert lands, but she delivers a killing blow to Rosa. And it's a graceful outro. Rosa is quickly gone after a brief thanks delivered, and Bayonetta isn't allowed a moment to breathe. The guest demon takes the chaos gear that Rosa was holding. After all, it does serve another. The Harlequin Witch was intent on getting this item, so perhaps their team-up was actually the demon using Bayonetta to get it. Well, no sense in waiting around for things to resolve themselves. It's time to get moving. Across the city, the police and military that were trying to protect it are now infected and turning into mindless hordes working for Singularity. The closer she gets to her goal, the more there are. To the point that her only way to make it through the waves is to employ Gamora's talents for mass destruction. Pretty neat display of Inferno's raw power, if one can ignore that she's cutting through masses of human beings. Once through the horde, the Harlequin Witch and her demon appear, and of course their greeting comes with the form of a dance-off, which... Maybe they're just sizing each other up. Maybe this is some Umbra Witch fight for dominance. It's not long before the guns come out, though. This really isn't them being lighthearted, as playful as it might seem. At least not for the Harlequin Witch. The two of them start a throwdown, sort of to the confusion of the Witch in Black. The versions of herself that she encountered before were generally to the point and recognized an ally when she appeared. So perhaps this is because of Rosa, or does the Harlequin Witch act out of greed over the Chaos Gear? It could be all of the above, as it seems the Harlequin Witch is aware of what happened to Rosa, and this is her finding an outlet for what she's going through. What started as a coy dance in the streets turns into an all-out fight involving demon summonings and immense property damage. Neither of them hold back either, and this all started out so laissez-faire. Their brawling stops when the homunculi arrive, because there's no way in hell that Singularity didn't notice this going on. There's no way in hell that Belgium didn't notice all this. The AI itself takes over the Harlequin Witch, just like Rosa, and she churns on her potential ally. Bayonetta recognizes that this is not a situation to be lax or coy in. This witch is the world's apex of power, and the Singularity has her now. She immediately initiates the Divine Sin ritual, calling upon Bale to aid her this time, and oh my, oh my, what a show do we have in store for us. Bale Zabul takes the stage to combat the aerial combatants that are descending upon them under the control of the Harlequin Witch. But the Siren of Creeping Plague uses merely the power of her voice to repel them away. Not even the Harlequin Witch's demon can break through her barriers. Baelzebul sings into the night, slowly taking a powerful victory over all that surround them. She tears the Harlequin Witch apart as her finale, imminently sealing this world's fate but gaining the Chaos Gear as a reward. Bayonetta now has all five of the needed Chaos Gears that Viola said they would need to reach the Alphaverse. 
where they can take the singularity on head-to-head. The AI rears its ugly head once again, ever eager to get in his put-downs and his condescension. It is the last time that they will meet like this. And it couldn't happen soon enough. This world falls away and Bayonetta returns to Thule. Now it's time for Jean and Viola to finish their works. Speaking of, Jean is indeed near the end of her mission. She's found Dr. Sigurd. He has spent his career studying the multiverse. He is the foremost expert on it, a human that understood the existence and nature of the world of chaos and the many layers it was composed of. He became aware of the existence of Singularity and its homunculi when he created cross-world communication and got in touch with another version of himself, Connor Sigurd. That's how they learned about the chaos gears and cross-world travel. It's how all of this has been possible from the very beginning. But that communication didn't go unnoticed by Singularity, and something about Connor Sigurd is quite amiss. Unfortunately, there's no way that anybody could possibly know that, because this is the first time that they've seen Sigurd. It's the first time that we have seen Sigurd. There's no way to know that something here isn't quite right, but I digress. So anyways, Sigurd has been here waiting for something, anything to happen, and it's John that happens to arrive to whisk him away to a new adventure and discovery. He knows that she's here because she needs to know how to reach the Alphaverse, and he's all too happy to help under the condition that she just talked to him. He's been so isolated, he'd just love to have a chat with someone, and Jean is a wonderful conversationalist. The two will get along just fine. Their first order of business, though, is to get out of the facility, as Singularity's forces are knocking at the door now. They head through an underground road, fighting off invaders as they go, eventually stopping at an abandoned military outpost with their choice of jets to choose from. With such machinery at their disposal, they make it to Bayonetta on the Isle of Thule in no time. The only one missing now is Viola. Jean introduces the good doctor, they've had time to chat and get to know one another, and they get on like two peas in a pod. Bayonetta has the chaos gears that he needs, and there's no point in wasting time. He directs them towards the peak of the mountain where an altar awaits them. Side by side, the three of them ascend the path together and Sigurd activates a pillar atop the altar. He tells Bayonetta to place the chaos gears upon the pedestals, but this must be done under fire. The homunculi are here. They only get one chance at this. So the two witches divide and conquer, almost effortlessly depositing each gear where they need to be. But they don't have long. A way into the Alphaverse is torn open, but it's hard to say how long it will stay that way. An attack on the gears could cause it all to close, so they must be fast and decisive. Jean essentially tells her to beat Cheeks through there. She's the only one who can end this. So, Bayonetta takes the lead. She will go to the Alphaverse and see things through to the end. Jean will remain to protect the mechanisms powering the portal and the Doctor. The chaotic rift is being held together by duct tape and silly putty at this point, but somewhere within is the way into the Alphaverse. Thankfully, she just sort of tumbles into it and three-point superhero dance precisely where she needs to be. This is it. Here, the forces of Singularity are at their strongest, which means there's no time for warm-ups. The Alphaverse requires immediate aggression and luckily Bayonetta has just the arsenal for such a thing. The ever-powerful and graceful Madame Butterfly will have the first round, or rather, series. Some of the strongest that Singularity can immediately send to greet the witch are cut down by she and her demon. Beast after beast is ended until the carapace around a great ship shatters, revealing to Bayonetta the center of it. And what she finds is, in all honesty, it's really convoluted. But first, oh, look who's made it here, Strider. And Bayonetta is just as surprised to see him here. If he's made it here, then what happened to Viola? 
Luca's suffering is clear. He can't hide the pain that he's feeling, and Bayonetta feels for the guy. She may not have the intimate connection with this Luca that Viola's biological parents had in their own world, but the two do have a deep friendship. She tries to soothe the beast, to calm and reassure him. She promises him that they're going to get back home, but it's not enough. Luca is far too gone at this point. He impales her, quite like what he did to Viola, but still she tries again and asks if he's frightened. It was a valiant effort to end things peacefully here, but it doesn't work. It never really worked with him in this form, as much as she and Viola may have tried. Almost like there was no point to it. Almost like it was a contrived point in the plot to draw up drama off the same overused character that doesn't really make any sense. But no one can say that the duel between Strider and the Witch in Black isn't beautiful. They still try to speak to one another. She tries to make jokes. He tells her to stay away from him, but... Well, that can't happen now. There's nowhere else for either of them to go. This is the end of the world, and one of them has to win at this point. The more Luca tries to speak, the sadder the situation becomes. The voice that he's heard all his life has served as a guide for him during difficult times. He feels now that he's pathetic. He needed that voice, and it's led him here. He feels like a monster full of nothing but hatred. Bayonetta listens for as long as it takes for him to get all of it out, to feel heard, and then finishes beating the absolute piss out of him. She handedly takes the advantage, potentially even the victory. But like Viola, she doesn't really want to harm him, not even in this form. She offers a hand, very calmly, and it seems like this will be the time that he finally breaks through. But the energy of Dark Adam has grown so strong that there's no longer a need for Strider to hold his form. And Luca feels that vile presence leave him. He knows that something even more dangerous than he is here. In an effort to get away from Bayonetta, he plunges from the platform. But even that doesn't work, almost like there was no point in it. It's here, and it's ready to tear the Arch Eve origin apart. Aspects of Luca remain within it. This being remembers Bayonetta and the familiar name Luca used to call her, but that's just more enraging than anything else. There's no familiarity between them. It's a sick bastardization of the man that she knows. This time, she does fight with the intention of causing serious bodily harm to this thing. Once, the Luca of the Alphaverse was a soldier, fighting Singularity. When he was inevitably killed, his consciousness remained intact and began to travel between the worlds. It grew stronger with time, eventually finding Luca that walked beside the Witch in Black. As the Lucas of the Multiverse died, it grew more evil and bloodthirsty with time, longing for revenge. It completely lost any hold on sanity that remained, culminating into this. In the end, the Clock Tower deals out the pain to stop the Dark Atom in its tracks, and Bayonetta blasts a literal hole through it. Now to wrap this up in a neat little convenient bow. Via the magic of the Fairy King Lucaeon, both Viola and Luca are brought to the platform, all now united in the Alphaverse. While Lucaeon is giving Bayonetta puppy eyes, Viola can't help but notice the body strung up. She calls it the homunculus nerve center. It's the body of Dr. Sigurd. But here's the thing. It's the same one they thought that they had met back in Bayonetta's world, but in truth, Dr. Sigurd has been dead this whole time. That's right. It was the singularity that Jean got out of that facility. Talk about five-head chess, can you believe it? So in an effort to clear this up, let's explain it to an actual toddler and see how we feel afterwards. Okay, Zilly, so 
Bayonetta is told by her daughter from another dimension that she has to get five Chaos Gears because Dr. Sigurd from her world told another Sigurd from Viola's world that they needed to get five Gears to get to the Alphaverse. But in actuality, the singularity was actually, yeah, was actually Dr. Sigurd because somehow he'd kidnapped and and, and killed Dr. Sigurd at some point and was using his body like a meat puppet power source. And he told all of them that they needed the Chaos Gears so that he could lure them to the Alphaverse so that he could kill them. <gasps> Rather than just killing them off right, up, right off the bat because he wanted to trap her in the Alphaverse or something. I don't know. Well, the pain from this oversight is just about to begin. And it's extremely personal. Jean will be the first of them to die. She really got a raw deal this time around. Somehow this being knew that she would find and infiltrate the facility where she was, that she would get him out successfully, bring him all the way here, and this is her reward for playing straight into his hand. It's a bitter death. Jean got done dirty. Now this world too will fall inevitably given enough time. And with the portal stabilized, the Singularity and the Homunculi can return to the Alphaverse, where they started in the first place. Bayonetta's crew is now stranded in the Alphaverse, and the reality of it is slowly sinking in. There's nowhere for them to go. Jean is definitely dead, and the Singularity is approaching. King Lucian doesn't have a lot that he can do directly against the Singularity, but he can help Luca. Every Arch Atom that once existed is now gathered here, and using his own power, he can restore the Luca of the Witch in Black's world to his proper form. According to the Singularity, this Luca is the Arch Adam origin, and his purpose, well, at least as he sees it, is to get Bayonetta to where they need to be. Which is actually some sound thinking from a man who's not usually prone to logic. He reasons that the vortex below them is absorbing this world, and that he's going to use it to get them back home, before their world too is consumed. How? He has no clue. But these two are the most important things in existence to him. He gives them his affection before he takes off, letting Viola know that he knows exactly who she is and that he does love her. He's in full control of himself now, taking his strider form and plunging into the vortex. And the young Viola immediately follows up. With a determination that would make any mother proud, she summons Cheshire and calls her Bayonetta to follow her lead. And the Witch in Black is all too happy to get on board. The demon called Cheshire taxis them back to their proper place in the multiverse. New York ain't looking too hot right now, and Bayonetta finds herself alone in the rubble of the city. Singularity is near, but the destruction has stopped. The city has gone quiet. Approaching the beacon of the AI in the distance leads to the being itself, though it's kind of surprised to see Bayonetta here. It says that she doesn't belong in a world where it defines what is and isn't real. She does not have a place. And here, the singularity has no limits. It can truly be itself. The first form it takes will be Chaos, a hulking skyscraper-sized form that requires something equal in size to match. Using the Divine Sin, Bayonetta calls upon Gamora to combat it, just as they once did in the city of Tokyo. The two of them fight through Manhattan as the apocalypse rains on. It's hard to imagine anyone in the city still being alive. What does the rest of this world look like? How many have been terrorized? How many are dead? The situation is so dire, it's hard to believe that any are left now, but still the fight continues to the bitter end if need be. Gamora and the Chaos end their street fight with powerful beams aimed at one another. But though Gamora won the brawl, it will not win against this. The Chaos is more powerful than it can handle and a backup is needed for Team Bayonetta. She throws caution to the wind and summons another through the Divine Sin, Queen Butterfly. 
If the witch loses control of the summons, there is a very real chance that one of them could turn on her and tear her apart, Gamora being the wild card of the two. But she keeps them under command and the Queen Butterfly delivers one hell of a Goku that clenches their victory this round. But it's never as simple as a single phase. The singularity has so much more to offer, and just letting it fly off into the cosmos without confirming the kill is a very bad idea. So, the witch gives chase to fight whatever comes next amongst the stars. What that will be is balance. The next form, and it's ever more powerful than the untamed rage of chaos. Balance calls what is to come an inevitability, an immutable truth that only it can change. But they are not in the Alphaverse right now, where that may have been true. They are in the Witch in Black's home turf, technically, and she remains the apex of power for this world. Her existence is what keeps this reality together now. And that is not some minuscule power that Singularity can ignore. She too has a say in what the fate of this world will be. She too has control over what is to come. The Singularity's aggression and attempts to impede her resistance are met with equal force with the new powers that she has gained along the way. And this time, she will dish out the punches to Singularity herself. The AI is admittedly a vicious foe, but if we're being honest, he is certainly no Baldur, certainly no Jubileus. Its power it has had to usurp from many worlds, from the suffering of others, to feed its own need for control, a truly despicable, greeting, and nonsensical motivation, to take because it can, to empower itself because it thinks it knows better, how tiresome an ego, and it's time it met with a proper resistance. When it cannot defeat the witch, when she actually stomps the living hell out of it, additional homunculi are brought in to aid it. Regardless of how balanced or fair it is, Bayonetta meets each challenge with seasoned grace and power. She's become so much stronger than when this venture began. Her demon summoning arsenal is outlandish, and once an additional enemy is dispatched, she literally runs down Singularity to deliver more of a beating to it. But after this particular round, a whoopsie-daisy happens. All the energy from the many witches he murdered come rolling out. Though life has left them, though their worlds be destroyed, they continue on within the AI. And this is a chance for each of them to exact sweet, sweet revenge. With each of their many varied talents employed, the Singularity can't get a shot off or repel all of the attacks coming his way. It's almost a humorous spectacle that he's so incapable of defending himself against it. He tries to force them out to stop them, but he can't alter them, not here they outrank him. And it's because this world's still living witch in black has decided that he can't. At least, until a second later when he decides he can, and he dispels each of the projections. So much drama. It's like they can't decide what power levels are what or who's doing where and just ugh. He dispels each of the projections all but one. This world's Jean. She has died and she will not return, but she has a small amount of time to aid her lifelong companion in this fight. One last time, Jean and Bayonetta fight against this powerful foe. They've had a lifetime at each other's sides and have countless tales to tell. It's impossible to quantify how close the two are and the love between them, but this cannot last forever. She stays as long as she can. She helps Bayonetta recover and regain the upper hand, and then without a word, Jean once again passes from this world. The rest is up to Bayonetta. Returning to Manhattan, Singularity takes the form of Definition. This will be its final stage. Other versions of the witch have had to face this being, Viola's mother being one of them, and faced a terrible end at its hand. But never did they give up. They always fought like hell until the end, and this one will be no different. While they fight, the Singularity calls her nothing but an unexpected variable. Though that doesn't really make sense, since all of this was according to his supposed divine plan. 
Didn't he mean for her to go to the Alphaverse? Wouldn't that imply that she has phenomenal power? Wouldn't that make her special? Did he expect the Alphaverse to hold her with Luca in tow? Was he expecting that she wouldn't do everything in her power to fight him? For having everything figured out and thought through, he kept a pretty big door between the Alphaverse and this one wide open for them to jump through. I'm starting to think that maybe this guy is just overly self-confident and didn't really pay attention to his blind spots. But she goes through the same cycle that many before her have faced. The brooch on her chest, the eye of the world cracked, falling from the field, being held at the mercy of singularity, refusing to surrender, and taking grisly pain for such insolence. But even when hope seems lost, she gets on her feet to fight, never backing down, never conceding an inch. And when she refuses to stop shooting, like so many times before, she's taken into its grasp for a crushing death. This time, Viola too will be given sad death. But gosh, it's weird. It's almost like the absolutes that Singularity touts as being undeniable are actually very much malleable. That they're not really set in stone fact, they can be tampered with. And two Umbra witches have broken out of their confinement. Two very recognizable figures that we're not going to think too much about because all the overlapping worlds of chaos have been destroyed. Maybe their appearances are just coincidence. Or the retcons and story tampering have gone so far that there is no longer any logic to be had. Let's just take it for what it is. Sweet, sweet revenge from two witches that broke out. The Red Witch and the Blue Witch take their turn in ganging up against the Singularity. If one was difficult to handle, now he has two to tango with that are fully charged and ready for some fun. It's a charm to see abilities from another time and place played out. Good memories of victories long past. But somehow, he does eventually land hits hard enough to stop them in their tracks. Oh, how the constant drama does repeat. But Viola has had time to collect herself, and lest we forget, she is a formidable combatant as well. Just. You know, she doesn't quite think things through all the way yet. She's a little reckless and a little too willing to throw herself at an enemy with complete abandon. Now, this would have been a good time for Singularity to stop talking and gloating and deliver a number of killing blows to the witches scattered all about him. But in true stereotype villain fashion, he just can't help himself, giving the three witches time to stand once again and gather. The Red Witch and the Blue Witch are not of this world. They don't belong. They are here to see Singularity undone. So to aid the Witch in Black, they join her. The three will now fight as one in body and mind. It's triple the power with each strike, more focused and visceral. This time, he cannot withstand the aggression. He's repeatedly denied a hit, denied a counter, denied a chance to move away, denied any chance at a victory. So complete is their beat down that they treat him like a ping pong ball at one point to smack between one another. But they are not the only ones who fight. Viola gets her chance as well. She has lost everything because of this thing. She has traveled between worlds to see this done and never gave in to self-pity or to grief. And when Singularity tries to repel them, Luca Redgrave makes his appearance to exact something. I I'm not sure what he thought was going to happen, but it was a good attempt. He's at least here to help now in any way he can, and though he has been burdened with so much, he still recovers with a smile and a self-deprecating response to everyone staring at him. Bayonetta and Luca both accept that this is the end of the world. They agree that they cannot let Viola die to this thing because she is the one who will keep their truth alive, Luca says. Viola is the future and she must be kept safe. One last time, side by side. Bayonetta and Luca bring finality to the singularity. There's no more grand summonings, no more outside interference, no more halftime shows. They're all on their last legs. 
In their times traveling between the multiverse, they've all grown in power, but those on the side of the Umbra Witch have grown more. Luca and Bayonetta are able to best it, if only temporarily. To see their feud ended, Bayonetta brings forth Gamora to vaporize the AI. Just the summoning was enough to start breaking up her powers, but she sacrifices every ounce from within to empower Gamora so that it makes contact with the Singularity. And it works. It destroys it. From the inside out, it cracks and bends, finally exploding into nothing, passing on from existence. But in its place, a great event begins. A vortex appears over the city, and Viola is captured in its pull. But that is not all taking place, for Bayonetta's power has left her. She is completely vulnerable. She is drained and unable to control Gamora. The great demon churns on her, so Luca must choose to fight and save Bayonetta from Gamora or bring Viola back from the vortex in the sky. And as the witch in black would want, Luca goes for Viola. She must be saved. She's the most important thing here. She's their legacy, their truth, and the future of this world. She will hold the mantle of power that Bayonetta once did. She must. And as he saves the young woman, Bayonetta's soul is struck from her body to be claimed by Inferno. It's the fate of all Umbra witches that make contracts with demons. Upon death, they enter their domain. Luca strikes Gamora away, but it's far too late. It cannot be undone. This is the end of the Bayonetta these worlds have all known. The Witch in Black is the last of them to pass, but her concern is for the well-being of Viola. She's known all her life what her fate would be, and while at first it's confusing, it's not something that she fears. Luca decides that he will go to Inferno with Bayonetta. Viola is the future, but Bayonetta is his heart. He will find his place and his future with her there. After all, who knows what strange things there are awaiting them in Inferno. What new venture will this lead them to? Luca holds within himself a strange power not suited for the world of chaos, so why not see what Inferno has to offer? It's hard to see them go, but it's not really the end. They still exist, just in a different place. She goes with Luca to be Cereza, the name Bayonetta set aside. And now, Viola is alone with a chance to finally mourn the loss of her mother and father from her proper world. She can take solace in knowing that perhaps she found peace like the Witch in Black did, and Viola has a whole big wide world to help rebuild and shape. She needs to be its protector, its overseer. First things first, though. She knows there's something else that got left behind. The dark energy of Bayonetta, the Dark Eve. It's in this world, and her first order of business is dealing with it. Turns out that Kraken, from what feels like years ago at this point, was under the employ of the Dark Eve. It did feel a bit out of place for a demon of Inferno to show up during the initial invasion. Well, turns out there was a third party involved that wanted a piece of the Bayonetta pie. Viola brings a thrashing to it over a dark, murky ocean. This thing has turned the water sour and is a threat to any living thing that gets in its way. So she cuts it down and sends it back to Inferno, so that all that remains is the foul energy called Dark Eve. It fights like the Witch in Black once did, but it's a shadow of her true power. The two fight for some time, but Viola cuts it down all on her own. When she needs to become her greater self once again, she's able to transcend into the fairy form her father once held. With time, Viola may even surpass her mother in power, if she can stay alive long enough, that is. She's in for a rough road and possibly a difficult life. Still yet will be the threat of both Inferno and Paradiso, which was surprisingly quiet during this whole singularity ordeal. But perhaps that's just an issue for another day. 
In the end, it is a true and decisive victory for the young witch, and standing in place of the defeated Dark Eve is the form of the Witch in Black. She tells Viola that this was her last lesson, and that she's come so far, a new name might be in order. She gifts to Viola the name of Bayonetta, something that Viola will always treasure. So, the world recovers, as though the death of Singularity restored this surviving world back to its proper state. Cities are put back together and life returns. Viola makes herself at home under the guidance and employ of Enzo and Rodan, much like her mother did. Enzo's family has been returned to him, and Rodan's bar is in business. While Rodan hints that they're still in contact with at least Luca in Inferno, it's Rodan who has sort of stepped in as an authority figure for her. And she has been skipping classes at college, which he disapproves of. But she wants to go blow off some steam with a job, so he offers her some low-stake gigs. She's got the power of her mother but the grace of her father. Every attempt to look cool is met with an equal and opposite reaction. But she's going to be alright. She's going to do all right. She proudly wears the name Bayonetta in her mother's place. Under the tutelage of Father Rodan, she is going to become a force to be reckoned with.